This is Jeff Hendrick, and you're listening to Tales from the East Stand. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 20 of Tales from the East End. We're going to talk about the Europa win uh, over Staranand last Thursday, and there's more European teamed interviews with Paul Doolan and Robbie Gaffney, Andre Zlaumal. Did I get that right, Carl? <laughs> and Alan Kyo, aka Forky. So the weather is warm, the cans are cold, and this is your monthly dose of madness. Each month, each month we handpick a hoop or two to record with us in Johnny Blue's bar, but there are conditions. You have to like a drop. So I'm Gary Parsons, and this is the Prof. Carl Riley. Hello there. And uh, speculation has been rife on social media as to who our mystery guest is. Over 30 guests on Facebook. No one got it right. Not one, but Johnny Boone either revealed it, and I had to text him straight away. I said, you have to text, you have to say it's the boss people might cop on. <laughs> so, um, we have club director and lifelong fan of Shamrock Rovers. He's based in Australia. He's back in Ireland for a couple of weeks, and we're delighted he's joined us here in Johnny Blue's Bar. So, Carl, give me a drum roll. It's Ray Wilson. So, Ray, you're very welcome to Johnny Blue's. Uh, thanks, folks, and uh, I certainly qualify on the liking a drop. I, I do, you. I think so. You're on your second. We're only finished our fourth. I thought you threw it out into the garden, into the plants. But um, uh, like I said, uh, Ray, you're very welcome. And uh, we're going to kick things off here. And our interview with Barker Bailey last week raised a few eyebrows, but it got really good feedback. Yeah, I thought it was great, and so did a lot of people. And uh, we'll have to get that. Let's get that story out of path in now. Yeah, I, nabbed, I actually nabbed him at half time at the Sternhand game and I got his number, so he's coming on soon. You can look forward to that. And I asked him to come to the show. He said, no problem. He loved it. And straight away he said, I'm not telling the Alan Matthew story. <laughs> so he, he, at least he listens. We know he listens, but yeah. we might get it out of him. And uh, so we're delighted to hear that he listens. Uh, Ray, did you see Bocker's uncle, Richie, play in Europe at the age of 16 and 78? Uh, I, I did actually, yes. I remember all the hype around Richie. Uh, uh, Johnny Giles that I had him with us. Uh, he was a very talented player. I'm not sure he really uh, lived up to his full potential because the reps on him were just enormous at the time. But, uh, but a very skillful, Be- very, very skillful age, isn't it? Very yeah, skillful. Yeah. Very skillful. Um, and your father, Jack, was a former club director at Milltown, who set up the 400 Club in 2002. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But Ray, how much of an influence did your dad have you have on you when you were following Rovers? I mean, was it massive. a big influence? Massive, massive, yeah. Massive, yeah. Yeah. No, look. Uh, I became a hoop because of my dad, like a lot of Rovers fans, you know, your father brought you along and uh, he would have brought me along to Milltown as a very young boy. I can't remember the first game I was at, so if you're going to ask that, I won't be able to that, that's, that's coming soon, yeah. <laughs> that's next, next. I'll be able to tell you some early memories, but all I can remember growing up was, you know, going to Rovers matches. Uh, I mean, Jack just didn't miss a game, you know, we went to every game home and away. Uh, he'd drive down uh, the country and, you know, with a couple of very good friends of his, um, Dick Regan and Peter Sheridan <coughs> and uh, you know I'd be sitting in the back of the car and it'd be Rovers all the way down and Rovers all the way They'd back They'd be Crumlin lads as well they, that could be yeah, the original Dick, Crumlin Dick hoops. was Crumlin yeah D- Jack was from Saul Road Dick was from uh, oh, Saul Road as well actually uh, and Peter was from um, Dolphins Barn 
So the original crumbling so, hoops. Yes, they were uh, they were great stalwarts, all three of them. And I remember your dad being as Mr. Shamrock Rovers himself. That's what they used to call him. So I can see how that rubbed off. And you, I mean, it's hard it's hard not for that type of thing to rub off on somebody if there's so much enthusiasm. So you said you couldn't remember your first game. Give us some early memories. Well, you know what? My earliest memory was actually leaving Milltown after Shells beat us in the cup in I think it was 1970 after we we'd won six in a row. Um, and I just remember coming out of the ground. It was like there was a death in the family almost, you know. There was just Nothing being deadly said. silence and the big crowds back in those days, obviously. But just deadly silence and everyone just leaving the ground knowing that something, um, you know, awful um, had happened yeah. uh, after Rovers had sort of been, you know, in the in, had, had won the cup for those six in a row years. So uh, that was the end of an era, I think. And probably in a way was the end of an era in Irish football as well. Oh yeah, that's when the crowd stopped. Well, the crowd sort of declined then. The early seventy. I remember in 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 the year we had to apply for re-election. I think it was nineteen seventy-four, and you know we'd be getting we'd be getting less than a thousand people at Milltown. It was it was was, seventy-four. It was crazy. It went it went from being packed to nobody in the space of about five years. We had a couple of theories on that, haven't we ourselves? And the the rise of English football television. Yeah, there's a great book by Darrell Doyle, is it? Who stole our game? Who stole our game? So that's that's a good read. He's a couple of theories on it himself. Um, we asked somebody uh, who was in Iceland. We were looking for people who were in Iceland in '82, and before Thursday's game, Carl found not one but two of them. So we have Paul Dillon and Robbie Gaffney, and uh, they will let us know what it was like in Iceland in '82. I'm here with Paul Dillon, the head of the Starn NFC tie, and people were kind of thinking this tie was 50-50 going into it, but the one time you played an Icelandic opposition before was 1982 against Fram Reykjavik. What was the expectations going into that side? Were you expected to win handily? Well, there was a journalist there from the Independent, David Flores, and he'd been over a year previously, and Dundalk had played Fram, and Fram had beaten Dundalk, but Dundalk uh, won on aggregate. But the feeling was that the Fram side wasn't as strong as the side they had the previous year, and definitely David Flores, I remember talking to him after the game, he says Rovers won 3-0, but I expected Rovers to win. That's what David Flores' uh, interpretation of it. He was expecting Rovers to win in Iceland, and once we'd won in Iceland, uh, we were always going to get the better of them in Milltown, you know. But um, going over, I was confident that, we, that, we, that we'd, we'd get a win over the two legs, but I, I wasn't expecting such a comprehensive win. Was it a costly trip to get over to Reykjavik back then, and how did you get over yourself? Well, the draw was made in June, and I decided I was going to, to, to Iceland to support the Hoops. So I rang the, the on, Irish Honorary Consul to Iceland. He was a man living in Ranelagh, and he said there was a travel agency in Ranelagh that was doing trips to Iceland, and they were the people to contact. And so I got on to them, and they said, look, Rovers are going out on the Monday, and uh, they're coming back on the, they'll be coming back on the on the t- on the Tuesday morning. But I was going to go Monday Monday to Sunday, so I spent almost a week in Reykjavik. But it was, the flights were Dublin to Glasgow and then Glasgow to Reykjavik. But it wasn't that expensive. Now it was a fair chunk of money in '82. But like when you're single and unattached and supporting a football team, money doesn't really come into it. You know, it would. It's reasonable. You know, and. The thing about the accommodation there, there were youth hostels, but the youth hostels catered for people up to 60 and 70 years of age. So that was the way you went with the accommodation. I joined on Oregon, and that entitled me to uh, free youth hostelling, uh, or relatively cheap youth hostelling around the world. So uh, I used the Onoga card for the, the hostel in Iceland. 
What do you remember about Iceland as a country? Did you take any of the sites? I took in uh, a good few of the sites of Reykjavik and uh, the thing that struck me was um, the undersoil, the heating, the swimming pools uh, uh, and all that and the, um, the fact that they had prohibition for about 12 years in the 1920s and 30s and you could see the proof where you could see 13, 14 year olds guzzling bottles of vodka, a group of them, you know, so they had the effects of that, but the prices of alcohol were very severe. But like, if you went to the off licenses, that was, you, you could drink at a reasonable price, but what they were charging in the bars and hotels was uh, very temple barish, so to speak. I was reading your program there just before we started and you mentioned the cathedral that was being built in 82. Yeah, the cathedral, now they were building it at the time but it, it's now completed and there's a massive view of the, the, uh, the skyline in Reykjavik from the, the bell tower there. And they, they, of course they had a big statue of uh, Eric the Red or Leif Erikson, the alleged founder of uh, America. Although there is a story going around that Irish monks got there first because... Um, Irish monks were among the first people to get to Iceland because they were fleeing the Norsemen's invasions, various invasions of Ireland. And there's also a story, I met an Icelander many years ago in uh, Clare of all places and he said that the Icelanders and the Vikings took all the good looking women out of Ireland and brought them over to Iceland. As for the Robbers team itself, this was 82-83, John Giles last season's manager and we had that formidable partnership in front of Alan Campbell and Liam Buckley and Campbell of course got on the score sheet Yes, um, Alan Campbell got on the, on the score sheet and that was, um, that was a very good Rovers team they'd come close to winning the league title in 81-82 when we had the multiple points system for the league uh, zero points for the defeat one point for a home draw two points for an away draw three points for a home win and four for an away win but the team, they came very close to winning the, the, the title. It angered quite a few Rovers fans that John Giles used to go over to Vancouver just as the season was reaching its climax. But um, that close season, they strengthened the team. They got in Tommy Gaynor from Limerick, Dennis Carr from Athlone and Jacko McDonough from Bohemians. And a lot of Rovers people thought we'd really push for the league title that year. But they introduced the three points for a win and one for a draw in 82-83. And we started off, I think we drew our first three games and so we were, Athlone got off to a belter of a start, we were six points adrift after three matches and um, Athlone went on to win the league title that year. So it was 7-0 in aggregate and 4-0 in the home leg, they're both records, was it as comfortable as it sounds? Oh, it was, I mean the team, we got a goal midway through the first half in Iceland and that really settled the team and then Alan Campbell's goal just before half time was a, was a real killer for the Icelanders, you know whatever chance they had of getting back that goal right before half time put Rovers in a very strong position and then in the, in the home leg we got an early goal and so we were, we were coasting So 35 years later here we are against uh, Icelandic opposition what's your feelings for tonight? Are we going to go through? I think we'll go through but I have to say we'll have to go and attack the Icelanders because if we sit back and invite them onto us they have a couple of big lads in the team and I'd be worried about a set piece a corner or one of their long throws but the pitch I have to say it looks that the best I've seen it for years and it should really suit Rovers' passing game. So if Rovers go out and attack, get the first goal, we should be okay. But like, it's whoever gets the first goal is in the driving seat. Okay, I'm here with former Rovers player Robbie Gaffney, a man who actually played in the last time he played in Iceland in 1982 against Fram Reykjavik. So Robbie, what was the expectations going into the game against that Icelandic side? When we were drawn against them, nobody knew anything about them. 
and uh, Giles obviously did his background but to get there was extraordinary we had to um, we had to fly to Glasgow and we trained with Celtic for a day prior to going because there was no direct flight so we trained with Celtic uh, one of the Celtic players Charlie Nicholas at the time he was about to sign for Arsenal told me it was like landing on the moon and when we flew over Iceland it was extraordinary I could see the geysers and all the stuff and we were there and uh, it was just surreal the whole, the whole place was surreal but for us it was brilliant because it was a League of Ireland team in Europe and to get a result in the first leg over there was unbelievable but it was the longest trip ever because the connecting flight was over two days later so we ended up walking around Reykjavik for two days if it had been supporters there would have been carnage but for players we had to get back and play them and play them then the following week in uh, Milton so we got through on that and we drew the university team from Romania in the second leg but it was a phenomenal experience I loved every minute of it uh, from the time we left Dublin to go over there getting the result was the big one because there wasn't many League of Ireland teams getting away wins in Europe and we took it as standard by the way stuff so it was great to qualify not many people travelled I just talked to uh, Paul Doolan there who went over but do you remember have you talked to fans about the game or at the time how many were over there I look at it today and I see it's extraordinary how we run charter flights now to Poland we run charter flights to Italy we run charter flights to Reykjavik I don't think actually I stand corrected if there was a couple of Rovers fans I didn't see them it was unbelievable we were Shamrock Rovers from start to finish players supporters the team and the committee that was it it still stands as a record uh, 4-0 at home 7-0 on aggregate a record win on aggregate score for Shamrock Rovers so is that something you're proud of? Well, I was really proud because when we got back uh, uh, the follow- when we got back eventually to see the headlines in the paper it was a League of Ireland team wins away in Europe and then gets through overall um, I mean people might laugh about it now but for us it was absolutely phenomenal I thought it was some part of something special to do it and still to this day I have bits of memorabilia that I got from uh, Iceland that I took home with me and why wouldn't I because it was there for the longest European away trip ever but it was brilliant loved every minute of it a strong Rovers team of course it was last season under John Giles uh, fun pairing of Alan Campbell and Liam Buckley so a strong side really strong Giles did his homework um, they were the typical big um, Icelandic team big tall lads but we were so quick uh, around the park Giles was coming to the end of his days but he knew the whole European thing inside out it was brilliant to be part of it I was just made up for a young lad to be playing in as a Rover supporter and then to be a player to win in Europe with the Campbell and Buckley's who were equally the same. It was brilliant. I loved every minute of it. And the result was more than anything, by the way. We got beaten by Craiova uh, in the next round. But the, the Reykjavik match will stay with me. Great. And a great atmosphere in the ground as well. I saw Ray Wilson say that Craiova were the best team he's ever seen in Milltown. Would you go along with that? that the, sorry, the, the best team that he had ever seen at Milltown, the Romanians. Oh, the Romanians were phenomenal because it was coming. To, it was coming at the stage where the, um, the, um, the the communist countries and all were were changed. These players were absolutely superb. Even Giles recognised afterwards that that was one of the great uh, 
Romanian teams, they're probably now known as Stau Bucharest or uh, uh, Dynamo Bucharest. At the time, they were University Craiova, but they were emerging into this uh, phenomenal football team. They were brilliant, and they we had nothing that we could check on them because everything was so secretive. So we went into the abyss there. But we, anyway, we done it. It was brilliant. Loved every minute of it. So you still follow the hoops, and uh, what's your feeling tonight against Dernan? Are we going to get through the next round? I'm nervous as I speak to you now tonight because I just want Rovers to get through. Similar to what I was experienced back in '82, but we had done the, we'd done all the hard work away, and Milltown was a party that night. When I say it was a party, it was a professional performance. But I just want tonight to be a professional performance. I really want us to get through. Yeah, so good stuff from Paul Zool and Robbie Gaffney. Um, you remember those toys, Ray? Uh, yeah, I remember swinging over there. I wasn't at the game, but uh, I remember uh, it was a very exciting uh, outcome for us, of course. As uh, Robbie just said there, great to see a League of Ireland team winning away. And I, I very much remember the uh, the home match when we beat them 4-0 and uh, Gayo Carroll scored a screamer in the Milltown Road end off the uh, underside of the crossbar. That was a... That's a, a very vivid memory. In fact, me and Mick Cairns met him years later in Sydney and were able to regale him with tales of that game. I think Mick and I remembered more about the match than Gay did. He couldn't believe that we, uh, mm-hmm. A, we bumped into him in Sydney and B, that we were going on about his goal well, against Fran. Encounter, isn't it? That's brilliant. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about the game now. Um, we went at them from the start. Very positive approach from the lads and Bradzer. Uh, before the game Bradley said that uh, and this is the quote I felt they were very arrogant in their comments after the fourth game over there they talked like they were the better team and that we got a lucky goal that annoyed me so I said right let's go and attack them at home I just felt like they they were disrespectful both on Wednesday in the pre-match press conference and last week in terms of how they viewed us it was a bit of arrogance about them and I don't know where they got it from we showed the players the comments and they said let's go and put that right and we did so I was was surprised (laughs) at that I mean they, they were at home in Iceland and they, they didn't attack us they didn't show any sort of attacking flair or anything and they didn't look good at all No, and their mind games didn't work but I think they expected much. us to play a cagey game maybe they asked Nutsy beforehand they asked yeah. him what he would have done <laughs> yeah. imagine we were only talking about this imagine Nutsy's tactics and performance compared to, to Bradzer's I mean you never no all respect to Nutsy nice guy didn't work out for Matt Rovers but he was really negative especially in Europe imagine the team he had to put out Against against the Icelandic team, it would have been. It just would have been. It a, would have been tense for about eighty five minutes. Oh, uh, hor- horrific stuff, wouldn't it? Backs against the walls. But you have um, Bradley's hinting that he's going to approach it the same way against Botasov, even yeah. though they're going to be technically superior team. I mean, do we know that though? Well, it's all, like it's it. all we can go on, really, isn't it? But I, I like I like the way Bradzer goes at, and and I like the way he, um, he approaches these games. But you have um, something from Gary Doyle here. Yeah, Gary Doyle in the Times was uh, gushing over his performance. He says there's plenty of pace and skill in Bradley's team, <laughs> and the more physical qualities that Gary Shaw, their big centre forward, provides, ensure that they aren't predictable in their attacks. <laughs> Better yet, there's a maturity to their play. Finn and Connolly providing the stability. Lopez brought composure to the team. From a centre back berth, while the full back Simon Madden and Byrne ensured Clark and Mayday had plenty of company. Rovers ultimately had Starnan's measure, a victory based on honesty of effort, youthful adventure, fine keeping, and a core of set beliefs, not just from the players but also from their board, by sticking by Bradley even when it was unpopular to do so. Amazing uh, stuff from him. Um, is he a fan? No. Has he got friends who are Rovers fans? I mean, that's, that's brilliant. 
But you know what? I think he's just calling the spade a spade and how it is. That was a really, really uh, amazing, yeah. complimentary uh, article. So lovely, lovely stuff from um, from Gary Doyle. I'll be keeping an eye out for his articles from now on. Yeah, he's one of my favourite writers. Not just because of that, but beforehand. Oh, you like him in general, yeah. yeah. Um, so that performance really impressed him. The Bourke goal, uh, great work from Brando on the left. The cross looked like there was too much on it. And then Trevor, the wonder boy Clark, just managed to keep it alive. And a very smart finish from Borky. Would have been so. a last cause for some players. Oh, without a doubt. He just kept, kept going, in. didn't he? He's that, he's, got this, he's that type of guy, isn't he? Right from the beginning of the move, though. Luke Burns started the move. From mm. start to finish, it was a really good goal. And you could just feel the relief in the stadium when that goal went in. Yeah, I mean, first half goal especially. I mean, it just said, you know what, we can we can not relax, but you know, it's it's your insurance. You know, the, the away goal was the, was the big one over there. But uh, what do you think, Ray? Were you happy with the performance? Yeah, look, I think over the two legs, uh, we were the better team in Iceland, and I think we were the better team in Dublin as well. So we are, uh, you know, great to get the uh, results. Some great performances. Some of the fellas you highlighted there, I thought Burke was outstanding. Pico in defence was a was a rock, and Tomer obviously pulled off a few good yeah. saves when we needed it. So, you know, for the club to get through that round is just massive lift for everybody involved. You know, fans, players, uh, backroom staff, uh, everybody, brilliant. We no. needed that, didn't we? After the last five years of disappointing results in Europe, we badly needed that win. Yeah, look, I think, you know, there's so much uh, effort going in behind the scenes that I think people are aware of. And uh, it was just great to get a, you know, a, a significant milestone um, under our belt um, for, you know, Stephen and the, and the coaching staff and for, as uh, Stephen says, a, a young group of players. And as you say, the long-suffering fans have been, uh, yeah. have been, you know, just waiting for an occasion like last Thursday. It was tremendous. So we have the Tomer saves, uh, the double save, and then the Thompson-esque save in the second half. Uh, I mean, he really stepped it up a gear, and he, he, he no longer gives you the heebie-jeebies, Carl. No, no, that's a thing of the past. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, confident in him now. And, I that's, mean, that's three world-class saves on two legs he made. Ah, I mean, the, the one down to his left in Iceland, fantastic. That yeah. double save, I mean, there was a lot of pace on that shot. And the guy, he, he popped up, smashed it in on the volley, and then the second save was even better. And then the one the second half, I mean, it's really he really is stepping it up. And that's that, that's the thing. I mean, we had Pico step up. We had um, over there, I thought everybody stepped up. I mean, there was a real team performance over there. It was hard. There was, there was, it was just a really, really good performance. But we have the likes of Tomer stepping up and making a amazing saves and Pico stepping up and we have leaders now and like Brad's said at the start of the season we've signed a couple of captains at the start of the show I love that when the starting striker was just about to shoot and Lopez slid in and won the ball amazing last dish tackle he's brilliant Pico the juggernaut Lopez I mean this guy would run through a brick wall it's an all action display and I mean some of his tackles and blocks blew me away and once again I know we give Lukey a lot of praise now I'm a bit of a fanboy for Lukey Bourne but he has to get a shout out there was one 50-50 tackle in particular I mean and he came out on top it was more like a 70-30 to be honest he went straight in and he's had that injury. So some players, I mean, when they do get that really bad cruciate injury, it plays in their mind. They might not be as strong in the tackle as before, but Lukey just steams in and it just doesn't play in his mind. And it's great to see that he's back to his best and over that horrific injury. Yeah, Luke, a year of his career. A year. Baltimore is done. Yeah. And then we have uh, we a couple of good shouts from the crowd. Fuck off, number 20. <laughs> so uh, we love how uh, we abuse our players and then we don't even know their names. So uh, you you got to love the Rovers faithful. Uh, our chances at the end, we peppered their goal. I thought Mikey should have had a goal or two. Brando had a couple of shots. Mikey was true on goal, yeah, he should have put it away. It was a crazy couple of minutes at the end, wasn't it, Ray? I mean, there was it could have been 3-all at some stage. I mean, with the saves from Tomer and the chances we missed. 
Yeah, look, it was real end-to-end, wasn't it? I mean, there was chances it didn't look like a 1-0 game when you were there. But uh, uh, yeah, and as you say, Mikey had some great chances towards the end that I thought he might have, might have put away. But uh, we got the results. He was That's a lucky all that counts. He was, yeah. Some good saves. Actually got my prediction right for a change. Yeah, I said 1-0. Although I did drop Burke for my team, so what do I know? And once again, we didn't bet. I know we have to start bringing in this tipster's corner thing, don't we? And start putting a few quid yeah. in with uh, Paddy Power, our sponsors. Is that all right, Ray? You like that one? Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> nice plug for the sponsors. We need to look after them. Uh, what else have we got? They could Kirk? have had a player sent off to, couldn't they? Bit of a nasty challenge on Trevor Clark. Yeah, yeah, he, he upended him, didn't he? Yeah. Look, I saw, I'm looking not to get a penalty. I saw him after the game. I saw the blood in his leg, but he walked oh, by. He, was blo- he, he broke the skin as well. He walked by and he just said, nah, it's only an old gash. Ah, it's only an old gash. Yeah. Trev likes an old gash, doesn't he? <laughs> so it was one of those games, Carl. Um, yeah, well, you I mean, were saying anyone could get man the match. I was thinking, yeah, if you ask six people for their man the match in that game, you might get six different answers. So we're going to ask Ray, who's his man the match? Who's your man the match, Ray? Look, it'll be a toss up between uh, Graham Burke and uh, Pico, but I'd probably give it to Pico at the end of the day. I think he was just it's consistent amazing, for the entire match. Yeah, he never, n- oh, never he dropped the last ditch tackle. I mean, it's just so entertaining. Look, I was defending myself years ago, so. I just love seeing a good tackle and he's just amazing at them. I mean, he just come out of nowhere. Like, like Maloney said before, someone come, it's like he got dropped out of a helicopter and he just just easily straight in there every time and his, his tackles is just really bad and really good, sorry. And um, he got a bit of stick at the start of the season for some of his displays in front of the back four when he was playing midfield. So he's... Uh, Open a day, I think, wasn't he? Yeah, it was. He, he was the back uh, four, yeah. A, fr- a friend of mine who follows balls said uh, when we signed him, he says, Gary, you're going to love him. Mm. And it's it's starting to starting to shine through now, isn't it? Do you notice when uh, Berkey was substituted, the ref had to tell him that his number was up because he was too busy fighting people. Yeah, because we, 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 uh, we, we actually noticed that and we said, look, he's too busy having a scrap to know he's getting subbed. Yeah. But uh, once again, with the tactics, the top brads, I got them right. But the atmosphere, 3,300 3, 3, attendance or 4,300, it depends on who you be- if you believe your own eyes or not. I mean, I certainly thought it was well over 4,000. Um, the official number is 3,300, but I mean, my, my first thought was 4,500. Yeah, it was overcrowding. Um, the fans were great. Ultras had a great display. It's got a few Sterling fans made the trip, which is cool. Yeah, Saw them in the I, over beforehand. there they said there was only about ten or ten or fifteen of them, so it, it was a, it was I'd say about fifty altogether. But the air crowd was really good, as you say, great atmosphere. You got uh, the European nights, don't you? Yeah, Davy was in tune. Yeah, he sounds a bit croaky and sly going now, to be honest. And we had Dan trying to join in, trying to get the whole Dan Fulham trying to get the whole stand involved. Yeah, the ultras display was class. Yeah, though somebody got a flare in the face, unfortunately. Is that what the commotion was about? Mm-hmm. Because we looked over to our right and we saw something was going on. I thought it might have been a row with a steward or maybe whoever lit the flare. See, that's the thing. That's why they don't want them in the stadium, isn't it? But that, that's a debate for another day. We won't get into that. We'll talk about the sprinklers that soaked the air sport team, though. See, Nutsy wasn't quick enough to get out of the way. Kerr was really uh, flea-footed and he got out of there quick enough, didn't he? Did you see that one, Ray? Uh, well, I only saw it on the replay, yeah. So, uh, as the air sports fella says, this will be the most watched segment from the game notwithstanding the promised <laughs> yeah. victory but uh, a lot of people were praising their sport for their courage saw Lee Burnwell make a long post about it and uh, well, what's new there yeah <laughs> uh, he's spot on I mean their coverage like he's great analysis beforehand they interviewed Bradley at length afterwards you know the clips go up on nine um, also at the start of the season did you notice that they had reporters on their phones they got extra time reporters like Dave Donnelly, Jessica Perry, Aaron Gallagher, all yeah. these guys. 
and they were reporting on, on grounds throughout the league on their phones. It was a great feature, great idea. So I sport up in class. Oh, they're spot on. I mean, yeah. it's. It, I think that they've an interest in it as well. I mean, it's not just RTE. I mean, I've no, I've no love for RTE. So, um, they seem to have an interest in it, and like, hopefully, it continues, and hopefully, they don't pull the plug or, or just get the the upper echelon boardroom guys don't get fed up and, and pull the plug. But um, you had Tony Ward, and as a we had Tony Ward as a guest, didn't we? Yeah, a couple months ago we had Tony Ward as a guest in the eighteen ninety nine suite. And he couldn't believe it when Rovers fans pulled out a Keep Rovers in Milltown banner. And people watching back home you couldn't... this was coming, right? People back home couldn't believe it. This was the 1987 Rugby World Cup. So, Ray, you have to tell us this story. Yeah, well, <clears throat> that's another Mick Cairns, uh, Ray Wilson uh, special. That one. Mick might be getting a spot uh, on, te- Mick, on uh, yeah. multi-madness film. <laughs> well, Mick actually made up the banner... Um, he, he he instead of writing Keep Rovers at Milltown, which was Cram, which was the name of the, yeah. the this group before, he wrote. Before Cram, wasn't it? It was at the yeah. no, same time as Cram, yeah. Same yeah. time. Yeah, so it was nineteen eighty six, I think this was it might have been eighty no, eighty seven, sorry, we lost the ground eighty seven. So this is at the Rugby World Cup in eighty seven, Ireland played Australia. Uh, but instead of writing Keep Rovers at Milltown, Mick wrote Keep Rovers in Milltown. So it wasn't Cram, it was Crim. Yeah. <laughs> but in any event, after the game we hopped onto the pitch with the big banner. And uh, I remember Con Houlihan wrote, wrote, wrote up an article about us uh, the following day in the um, evening press, I think it was. Holmes Good Hoop, uh, Well, he was more a Pets man, actually, was Con, he? believe it or not. Yeah, Very yeah. complimentary of the Hoops. Huh? Yeah, no, he was, uh, yeah. I mean, he loved League of Ireland. He was a br- brilliant uh, journalist as well, you know, great writer. But uh, yeah, Con wrote up as, uh, about us. And I think the Sunday Independent the following week had... Uh, Quote of the week, keep Rovers at Milton. <laughs> there, there has to be a couple of photos of that somewhere, doesn't there? It's actually in the, uh, there's a, that pictorial history of Rovers, um, the photos in there, yeah. And was there, there were probably a few Guinnesses involved before you got on the pitch, wasn't there? <laughs> well, well, there was a few and uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but there was a, there was a slight altercation um, after the game in the uh, local McDonald's with a Dundalk fan who uh, was very happy that Rovers had lost Milltown, but really? Mick, and, Mick and I weren't too pleased. <laughs> so we, 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 we'll just leave it there. <laughs> so we're going to move on to Cork's result. Cork beat Levadi at Salem 4-2 with a second half hat-trick from Sean Maguire. So 6-2 on aggregate. Uh, Preston got a bit of a snip there, didn't they? Yeah, go on the coefficient. On the coefficient, yeah. And uh, they play AEK Larnick of Cyprus in the next round. And Derry went into their second leg with Midland 6-1 down, playing at the showgrounds 90 miles from home, and their tickets were €25. Euro. Now, we were up in McGinn Park. I know they got, I know Sligo had to rent out the ground, but Jaden was free into McGinn Park when we went up there, and I was charged €12, Euro, so Sligo must have charged a pretty penny to use their ground, because that's that's extortion, €25. Euro. The attendance was 467 I mean, that's it. Well, they obviously chose the prices before... They knew the first leg was could have easily lowered them, but like I said, may- maybe the, the rent of the ground but was still really looks bad. Yeah, so they lost 4 1, and that was 10 2 on aggregate. And Dundalk are home to Rosenborg on Wednesday. Rosenborg have the Lord, the Lord, Lord Bentner will be playing up front, won't he? Yep. And the FAI brought charges against members of Atlone Town FC, uh, three charges, and their hearing will take place on August 3rd. So that's a bit of a talking point as well. Bringing the game into district. Disrepute, disrepute. That was one of the charges, wasn't it? Gambling. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy stuff, isn't it? They made a statement earlier, basically saying it's not the club that's been charges yeah. been brought. It's, it's the players, the members the P- of oh, our the, club. The PFAI are backing the players to the hills as well. 
we have Chairman Dennis O'Connor on Bray. We're going to talk about Bray now with an update on them. Chairman Dennis O'Connor says that the financial crisis at the club has been resolved, at least in the short to medium term, and that no more players will be leaving with all their wages set to be paid on time between now and the end of the season. But um, the Bray players came out and said they don't feel confident of this uh, about their futures, and they're giving the club officials a Monday deadline to show them evidence that the finances are in place. So there's something very fishy here. I mean... Do you want to speak on this, Ray? What do you think is going on? I mean, that 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 finance was just organised very, very quickly, and things went from rubbish to to right in a couple of a couple of days. Mm. Look, it's very disappointing for the league, obviously, to have things like this happening, particularly when the league was having a good week with what we'd done in Iceland yeah. and Cork as well. You know, so um, it is hard to sort of conceive of how. Um, you know, you can't be sort of financially prepared for the full season. So it does it does look like some. Um, uh, heroic assumptions, I suppose, were yeah. being made over at Bray, and uh, they haven't come through. But look, the good the good news is it does seem like they'll be sorted to the end of the season. We all want to see them complete the season, remain in the league. Yeah, I mean, we called this, I think, in a couple of first episodes. We mm. said that we'll give them a series, a full series of games before they start struggling. They lasted a bit longer, and now that's not. We don't want this to happen. It was just a prediction. It's just what we thought was going to happen. I mean, if you think about what the money that the guys were making. I mean, they don't get any... Look, look at the figures they release for the season tickets. They sell 59 adult season tickets. They don't get people through the, through the, through the gates for money. It's, it's not happening. So it was pie in the sky stuff to, to think that the whole, the whole of Bray will come out and support Bray Wanderers and will get into Europe. It, it's just... It was pie in the sky stuff, so... Yeah, Neil Horgan was really good about this. He was on the LOI Weekly podcast. And if you've read his two books on Cork City, he's been through us before, so... He's got great insight into it, but I thought it was very nice of uh, Dennis O'Connor to apologise for the unease caused by his honesty. I, I, just, like I said, something fishy about this guy. I mean, what was he? Is it a Horland background? Dennis Dennis O'Connor is it? Is that the? I, just, I think it comes off as a clown. Yeah, I, there's something not right there, but um. Like I said, we will move on and we will talk about a pivotal moment in our club's history, which was when the club entered examinership in 2005. And Ray, you provided half the finance that was required to secure Rovers' future. And when did you definitely decide to step in? When did you sit there and say, you know what, fuck it, I'm doing it? Uh, look, really from the get-go, you know, when, they, oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, when, the, when the club went into um, examinership, uh, I spoke to my dad at the time, Jack, you know, and said, look, Jack, the, the only way we're going to resolve this is with the fans. And there was a bit of a, in typically Irish fashion, there was a bit of a civil war going on. There was the, the sort of old board and the and the new lads, if you like. But, um, uh, you know, we did manage to resolve all of that and get everybody, you know, back on the one page. But um, I, I just said to Jack, look, the only way we can we can do this is is with the sort of, is with the members and the fans' trust. And, yeah. Um, you know, we put the sort of deal together. Um, a big shout out to Dave Carpenter at the time. I was a, uh, I would have been on the phone to Dave every night for about three or four months, I think, for uh, putting putting the deal together. I'd be on the phone to Jack for an hour and Dave for an hour, and uh, and uh, you know, look, it all it all it all ended uh, very well and harmoniously. Thank God. Yeah, and you made a significant investment last summer. A number of changes were made at board level, and our vision for an academy project was laid out. I'm a big fan of the Academy Project and um, I did an interview years ago called Fan with a Flag and I, I was asked where would I like to see Rovers in five years and I said uh, with an academy that can rival the big DDSL clubs and 
so we can produce our own and put filter them through that system into the force team. And I, I was absolutely delighted when I first heard about this that we're putting money into the into the youth. It's it's the way forward. It really is. I mean, you name one League of Ireland club with a good youth setup, right? Yeah, look, I think we are leading the way. You know, um, I will give a bit of credit here to the FAI. We don't give them a lot of credit uh, from time to time. No. But uh, but I think the sort of national 1917s and now the 15s coming in is is the way of the future for, for Irish football. Yeah. Um, and you know the uh, the opportunity to sort of uh, realise our academy vision, which was uh, essentially sort of started by Stephen Bradley and Shane Robinson and Jonathan Roach. Big credit to Jonathan. Oh, really? For, yeah. for having the foresight. Yeah. I mean, on the board, Jonathan would have been the fellow who pushed the whole you know academy initiative stronger. Um, than anybody really not that anybody disagreed with it but it was really uh, a hell of a lot of effort from Jonathan um, with Shane and Stephen and, and, and others I mean there's lots of other coaches around there and uh, Graham Gartland was terrific as well um, so it's a pity Graham's gone off to Scotland but but we all wish him the very best over yeah. there as well and uh, Ray you mentioned that like, it was like civil war back in 2005 do you feel this is the most united the club has been in a long time because I remember I really like what Pat Martin said to me in Iceland he said, when Rovers get their house in order, as we have now, that's when other clubs like Cork really start to get worried. Uh, yeah, look, I think, I think the, you know, the work that's gone in the last 12 months um, and the fact that everybody's really bought into the vision, there is a kind of unity of purpose now um, with everybody involved in the club, you know, um, from board to executive staff to coaches players I think even the players are you know, not even the players but the players are really getting it as well you know no they really are 100% agree with you there the, the players just seem to get it I mean like put it this way whenever we get in touch with like the likes of Steve McVeigh looking for an interview or anything like that straight away I mean it's it's all really professional and then if mm. if we need to contact a player like for instance Webby David Webster absolute gentleman and Loving the attention. Let's be honest. I mean, we met. I met up with them for questions for the East End. Um, they, they love these. Look, I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream. I'm playing for hours. I'm a professional footballer. I mean, they they must. I mean, if it was me personally, if I was a professional footballer in Ireland, and someone was coming to interview me and a quiz and things like that, I'd love it. Be, I mean, you've made it. You know that type of thing. So I, that's that's what I've that's the side of the things that I really enjoy. And it, like I said, I put up a post on Facebook about thanking everybody in the the program sellers right down to, every, to to the ground staff everybody is behind the club at the moment it seems like it's the most united we've been in years and it's the most excited I've been since Michael O'Neill absolutely and um, Ray Roberts directors you're fans first and foremost but on the business side of things is it nerve wracking to have to wait until 10pm on a Thursday night to find out the club is going to be 200,000 euro richer or not <laughs> Yeah, look, it is. It is, to be honest. I, I don't think I've been as nervous at a Rovers match as I was in uh, in Iceland mm. um, because there's so much riding on it. I mean, financially, obviously, we, we know the financial rewards of Europe now are massive. Uh, but also just the lift that it gives the club as well to get past that first round, you know. We talked earlier about the, you know, it's a, it's a young coaching staff, it's a young playing group. So, um, yeah, look, just, just, just massive. But financially, uh, you know, it'll put us in... Uh, a pretty reasonable position, I think, by the end of the season, you know, and who knows, there may even be more to come. Mm, that's what it's all about, isn't it, at the end of the day, and, uh, just staying afloat. I met you over in Iceland, of course, how did you enjoy that trip? 
Yeah, look, you, you just can't beat a Rovers away trip, can you? Um, Amazing. You know, I've been all over the world at all various <laughs> different events and uh, uh, the absolute best time I have is Rovers away matches. Uh, you know, Spurs was unbelievable. Uh, the Thessalonica trip was, was, was tremendous as well. I really enjoyed that. Uh, but Iceland's right up there, I think. Uh, um, Modena was brilliant too, of course. It was like um, one big dysfunctional family meeting up for a piss-up <laughs> for two days. That's what it was. It was brilliant. Yeah, now look, there's a great bond as well, isn't there, when you go away with the Rovers fans. There's a kind of fraternity there with yes, uh, yes. like-minded people, you know. So, uh, no, it was, a, it was tremendous, Reykjavik. So we're speaking of money, and Celtic beat Rovers 11-9-0 at Hallett on Saturday. Johnny Hayes came on and scored one. We made this... Uh, the way I can sum this up, I think uh, it was just a money spinner and we made the same amount of money in one day that Cork made by selling the best striker they've had in 30 years. Um, yeah, so we had a temporary stand that was up in the square end, 7,000 altogether capacity for the Celtic game. And, um, the pitch is looking great these days. Uh, it really we'll is. It looks fantastic. And uh, Ray had a scoop on the pitch, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I think that a new contract has come in in the last five or six weeks. I was talking to uh, Nicola Coffey from the council who was at the game there on Thursday, and uh, everyone's delighted with how it's come up in the last few weeks. It's uh, It's been a bit of rain and a bit of, bit of warm weather, so it's a perfect like a snooker tail, wasn't it? Mm. Did you notice the Gardaí were out in force on their horses? Yeah. yeah. not sure what they were expecting, to be honest. Yeah, well, sure I mean, they... it was a bit of a love-in... There's bound to be, I mean, that amount of people, there's bound to be some sort of trouble, but I mean, it's just uh, security on their end. They have to make sure that it doesn't kick off. And uh, do we like the foggy dew for the players to come out, or do we go back to build me up Buttercup? I'm all for build me up Buttercup. Um, yeah, I'm the same. I'm not a fan of the foggy dew. It's too low key, it's it's not upbeat no. enough. Although I do like Thunder, Thunderstroke. Which Someone mentioned Thunderstroke, yeah. I that like was that a great too. show. What would you pick for the players to come out for, Ray? What's on? Look, probably build me up, Buttercup. Yeah, I think uh, the Foggy Jew is a—it's uh, a bit of a downer, really, isn't it, yeah, for the players it is, to come yeah. out to? I saw Con Murphy on the Rovers chat today saying we've got to get back to build me up, Buttercup. So I probably agree with Con. Yeah, he made a great point. And we had the treble trophies. They were paraded <laughs> at halftime. That was uh, shades of 1968 at Dalymount Park because uh, when the Lisbon Lions came over to play Rovers for a friendly, Celtic paraded the European Cup oh. before the game. Very good. And uh, Rovers wore blue that day, funny enough. Blue? Not Rangers blue now, more Everton blue. More Everton blue, not yeah. Royal blue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the match programme was an absolute cracker. I mean, it was jam-packed. What are we talking, 64 pages? It was 64 pages. It was Articles everywhere, Jason Mahoney, yourself, McDarrah Ferris. I mean, Justin good Mason. Stuff. Justin Mason, some really, like, really good stuff. Because I just honestly, my article was the worst one in the programme. Yeah, that's the first thing you said to me, you said, listen... My article's rubbish compared to all this stuff. Oh, that's no joke, like. Is <laughs> yeah, no, kudos to Robert Gargans because uh, it was amazing. It was just he quality. deserves all the credit he gets. I mean, Ro- yeah. Robert is uh, Rovers true and true. I mean, bleeds green and white, and he does so much for the club. So we actually, we, we've never really said much about Robert. So, Robert, keep on hooping and keep on doing what you're doing because it's, uh, it's really, really helpful. And, I mean, like I said, the programme would, uh, would collapse and die probably without you, so... Yeah, here, uh, here. I stuck a picture of us actually from Reykjavik in that in that article. Oh, did you? Me, you, Ryan, and Dan. Yeah, won't get in trouble with the misses, will I? <laughs> <laughs> so we had both teams wore our away shorts. We played a mix of reserve players, under 19s and trialists. Dave McAllister was captain. We had Dutch defender Tim Lindhorst and Dean Carpenter started Collinstown uh, player and Carpenter's Collinstown teammate Darren Clark. 
and um, he was one of nine subs to come on. So Darren is Trevor Clark's older brother, and no Dan Devine does a bereavement in the family. Oh, didn't know that. Uh, I don't think you answered this one, Gary. Did you? No, I bar stealed it from my. No, I was uh, I went hiking with the kids for this one. I bar stealed it from my living room. Yeah, bar stealed it from and, my uh, living room. Disgrace. Stephen Alkin drove me mental. Yeah, why? Well, Go said, on. He said nil three when we went three nil down. Nil three. Yeah. He said maybe not playing the first first team. Maybe has backfired on robbers here. As, as if it was some sort of important game. Two days after a Europa League tie. He said they had a stadium at least forty times. Oh, these guys. It's <laughs> probably didn't knock them off. I'll just give you some quick highlights. Uh, Sean Boyd missed a free header in the first minute. And then later on, he almost scored a sensational goal. How about that touch? The halfway line. How about that touch before he actually took the shot? Yeah. Absolutely. Gorgeous, as we say. Yeah, Richie English hit the crossbar. Uh, as for the Celtic goals, I mean, Lintor got an earful from Horgan after the third goal. <laughs> oh, yeah? He was giving out the arrows to him. And then after Lintor went off injured... Our back four consisted of two 17-year-olds, an 18-year-old, and a lesser senior league trialist. <laughs> well, there you go. So, can anyone Summed be surprised? Up in one. But uh, as for, is this our heaviest defeat ever? It's actually not. But uh, Celtic beat us 7-0, Daily Mount, in the 60s. But uh, our record defeat is 10-0 to Duke of Prague in 1961. Ouch. In New York. We're missing a lot of players that day, too. That was a friendly as well. Uh, it was a US tour, yeah. Uh, and, and just on that one, <clears throat> I actually met uh, Eamon Darcy, uh, sh- the famous Sheila Darcy, the <laughs> Rovers goalkeeper from the 50s and 60s. He was in the 1899 suite after the match yesterday. Oh, lovely. And he was in goal that day. Uh-huh. And Eamon came up to him and he said, listen, Ray, he said, we got beaten 10-0 in New York by Duke of Prague. He said, <laughs> and I said, were you in goal? He says, I was. He said, I thought I had a good game. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I'll see if you can uh, complete this sentence, Ray. All I want for Christmas is my... Two front teeth. No, no, no. <laughs> All I want for Christmas is my Duke of Prague away kit. Oh, yes. <laughs> my Duke of Prague away kit. It was half man, half biscuit, was it? That's right, yeah. Oh, good stuff, Ray. You're well up on it. So the opinion on these games... Internet has blown up with um, a lot opinions. of people losing their shit. On a lot of people losing chat. their shit. I mean, it was a money spinner, let's be honest. It was a great occasion. A lot of Celtic fans in Dublin, a lot of Celtic fans in Ireland. I mean, I, I think Steve McPhail organised, he had some sort of connection there, so it was a great occasion. Like I said, we, we got, we got it was a money spinner, a few quid for it. 9-0 is a drubbing though, it's a bit, let's be honest, it is a bit of a drubbing. It's not easy to take that score. No, line. it's but not. People saying that it damages the brand, I think it's kind of... It is a bit extreme, but like you top. summed it up, saying we had... Two 17-year-olds, an 18-year-old, and a Lancet Senior League trialist in defence. So, nothing to take away from the lads, but still inexperienced young lads and, and a fellow who's been playing Lancet Senior football. So, it's not an excuse, it's just a fact. That's all it is. People won't really remember it in a week or two, but what I would say is that the Real Madrid game was great PR for the club. That's kind of the last time we played the full-strength side in one of these friendlies. So, I think what I would like to see is some sort of middle ground between Real Madrid and losing 9-0 <laughs> yeah. I thought Braza got a spot on Braza has his, has his head on right I mean he's he knows what we're what we're up against on Thursday I'm sure he'll be in I'm sure he's out watching Czech Repo- or in watching Malada Boleslav somewhere I think they had a couple of pre-season games 
But he's I mean, been to see them. He knows how important these games are. He's mm-hmm. not going to risk the lads in a friendly against Celtic, you know. But I mean, the days are gone when you know, like Manchester United and Arsenal would come to Milltown. We're both in pre-season. We both would play full-strength teams, and Rovers won a couple of those games. Ray, were you at any of those? Uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, no, I remember us uh, beating Man United actually, and. Uh, they were so annoyed at getting beaten. They said, we're going to come back in six to 12 months and play you again. And they did. They came back and played us again. Oh, yeah? Was and this we, Alex Ferguson's And we beat season, them again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if Ferguson was there for the first match. He might have been you, there for the second He didn't game. come over, but it was his first season. Yeah. One that, it was 2-0 to Robert. Yeah. Was Brennan's it Norman Whiteside in that squad? Uh, I think Whiteside might have been. I remember Jesper Olsen, the Danish fellow, made his debut. From Man United oh, yeah? in, in in the game, yeah. And, a friend of uh, mine in work says the the best player he ever saw at Milltown was Norman Whiteside. So I'm not too I'm not too sure. I don't remember Whiteside having, yeah. a, having a great game. Well, we beat them, <laughs> so it couldn't have been that good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what else have we got? We have uh, move on to the Boleslav spy at the Stjernan and Celtic games. Uh, it's all part of the wider plan to lull them into a false sense of security, <laughs> and then take the, the scalp on Thursday I think apparently his English wasn't too good so I didn't uh, I wasn't great enough. he wouldn't be as friendly as Brynjir so I didn't try and talk to him yeah stage one of the master plans but we do have a, we have a journalist later on so yeah so we'll uh, we'll have a little listen to him in a while uh, the six minute applause for Bradley Lowry was a nice touch it was good to see and um, did you get to meet Christy Dignam Ray? No, I didn't actually, uh, uh, but I was there when he sang um, that beautiful song that he sang. An impromptu sing song. Yeah, good to it see, was just it? just phenomenal. To, uh, Mark Lynch sing. was made up. I think if he he would if he had a died in the spot, he would have been happy. Yeah, he's a massive Aslan <laughs> fan, yeah, Mark. Yeah. yeah. And we had two birthdays that day. We had Lukey Bourne and Tomer's wife Jess. So happy birthday to you guys. Uh, we had a strong team from Celtic. I reckon that's the team that's gonna. That's probably their start strongest start in eleven, give or take one or two. Mm. Um, Probably the start eleven. They're going to start against Linfield, and who they play in Belfast on Friday. And the situation with tickets at the moment, it's no way fans, isn't it? Yeah, it's still the case. I think that's ridiculous. It's caused a lot of unhappiness. Yeah, that, I mean, it? I, I, I personally think they're just feeding into the to the frenzy. I think they they really need to knock that on the head. I mean, it's going to be trouble. The lads are going to travel anyway. I mean, you try and tell Rovers fans not to travel. It's 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 not. Yeah. It's just a recipe I, for disaster. For trouble. Yeah, really is. But uh, speaking of Linfield, Ray, did you notice that we haven't have hanging up on the wall here at Johnny Blues an actual seat from Windsor Park? <laughs> Any how, comments on this? How much did you pay for that seat? Oh, <laughs> uh, very expensive, Ray. Uh, no <laughs> no <laughs> comment. <laughs> yeah, that um, that's a Tanta Cup toy. It was actually quite an easy. They were they were really poor that day, in fairness, in Tala and in uh, Windsor Park. But that seat was. Um, it was used as a frisbee that day. That's all I'll say. Mm. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was the catcher. <laughs> so uh, what else have we got? We have another friendlies. Uh, that shower from Dublin Seven played FC United in the Dublin City Council Stadium, and Drogheda played Ipswich, and they had Dean Ebby on trial. So Dean Ebby, I thought he was making a bit of a an impact over there. He was in Scotland. Yeah, he was in Scotland. He was in Inverness, and the thing is, the guy that signed them was sacked. So. It's it sometimes that happens, doesn't it? The manager that signs you leaves, and then you're kind of out of the picture. So Dean Ebby is back on trial in Ireland, who was actually quite good for us in a couple of games. But um, he made his league debut on the last day of 2012. Gary Twiggs last game. Gary Twiggs came last on game. as a sub. UCD. 
No, away to Sligo. Away to Sligo. Oh, yeah. the last home game was UCD, wasn't it? Yeah. And apparently we approached Lee Grace at Galway. Now, I don't know much about Lee. I can't remember. Not too much. So, um, I think Bradza has an eye for a player, to be honest now. Uh, so, hopefully... Um, He's a bit decent. Was there a proposed swap deal there? Was it? I heard a proposed swap deal. Sean Boyd yeah. or something? No, I heard uh, Darren Meenham was offered to Galway hmm. and Lee Grace. So um, Lee Grace was supposed to come our, our direction, but that was refused. Like I said, it's all Shamrock rumours. We don't know. We don't know if it was genuine or not. You know what Facebook can be like. And we have Rovers fan Marty Waters as the joint top scorer in the first division with nine goals. He scored after just 14 seconds for Cabin Tealy on Friday. And Pat Devlin called him the best player in the league and presumably means the fourth division. I presume so. <laughs> he has to. Um, I haven't seen any of his celebrations lately. Remember he was no, doing the worm. He was doing the worm and he was, uh, he was going yeah. viral for a while. We have Waterford who are six points clear at the top of that table. And we have young Sean Heaney who has gone out on loan which I think is a perfect move for him. Top of the table in the fourth division. I mean he just... He didn't have luck with City. I mean, when he came, he was playing. He got a chance at left ball against Pats. He got sent off after thirty minutes. He hasn't had a look in since. No, he hasn't had a look in since. I think he gave away a penal up in McGinn Park. Rolling course. That was Sean. That was Sean Heaney, wasn't it? Was it? Oh yeah, yeah. So it just it didn't go well from this season. He is a good player, but he just needs games. He needs a bit of confidence. Hopefully so, he comes back with a winner's medal. Yeah, no, hopefully he comes back and, and we can fit him in and he, and he uh, proves the doubters wrong. Well, um, the last the last fellow we sent out on loan to Waterford, I think, was Noel Hunt. When we saw Noel, Noel Hunt, we sent him back down there for a season and he was banging really? home the goals and then he, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. So it might work out so well for Sean as well. So. Did you see him do a backflip after the stand, yeah? I did. You were I there did. for that I, one? S- I, saw him, I saw him do a couple of them, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was a smashing player. Um Matt is a cut snake, but a lovely character. <laughs> <laughs> right nuisance, isn't he? Uh, we have Kieran O'Connor, Mikey's brother, went on loan to the Bowers, and he'd been on loan at Finn Harps from Dundalk. I mean, did that get cut short for him to go to Bowers, or did it must have? That's a bit of a blow for Harps. Yeah, I mean, he was doing well. He was scoring. He was playing I mean, well. I mean, players get recalled from their clubs. Yeah, I always wonder how. It but works. to have a player recalled and then go on loan to maybe not relegation rival, but. You know, they're in the bottom half yeah, of the table. Much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. So we have former Derry winger Noam again. He became the first Irish man to sign for a Korean club, Gwangju, and uh, who we played in pre-season friendly this season. And our under-19s are away to Cabinteely on Tuesday night at half seven, and they're at home to Bray the following Sunday. And we have our under-17s bounce back from that heavy defeat in Waterford with a 3-0 win over Drada in the Mark Farron Cup on Wednesday which included a cracking goal by Kenny Cunningham and I think the 17s were in action today at a 3-1 win out in the UCD Bowl I was following uh, Mark Lynch's updates so our youth is are looking good as usual our young future hoops and Carl you said there was a bit of history made you uncovered something here well I didn't uncover it it was Robert Goggins said it but that, <laughs> that Mark Farron Cup game was the first competitive game played by either the under-19s or 17s at Roadstone. And hopefully many more to come. I mean it's mm-hmm. a it's a fantastic setup. We we got the tour with uh with Stephen and all the journals that day and it was a, a really, really impressive setup and enough credit cannot be given to everybody involved. And the seventeens came behind to win three yeah, we just talked about that. <laughs> they came from behind to win three one today and so and uh, against U C D. So their next game is a home to Capitini this coming Sunday on the sixteenth. So 
if you're not doing anything on a Sunday, get out and see our young hoops, our future stars, and you'll have a story to tell in 10 years' time when they scored a winning goal and win us the league. So, Rovers are featured in a FIFA football programme. Ray, I have to ask you about this. You'll probably remember because my memory's a little bit hazy. You had Bradley McPhail and Lukey. They were all interviewed. It was a great look behind the scenes. But I remember them featured on something years ago. It was like a football mundial, yeah. and they were training in Pierce Park, and the player interviewed was a fireman. Do you remember that? I do remember the programme, but I, I actually can't remember who the I can't remember myself, player no. was. If anyone interview, else can yeah. help us out with uh, that, on Facebook. Ray Kenny. Ray Kenny, was he a fireman? I think so. He might have been. I did bring those up a few months ago. I remember I was saying Noel King. Yeah, I remember. I was talking about Milltown, and he was saying the Kukoyans were very forward-thinking by moving north side. Oh, yeah, well done. Well done. That, that was Noel yeah. King, yeah. The Stooge. Did you think the Kukoyans were very... We're visionaries. Well, right. <clears throat> I can I can assure you that neither Jack nor myself ever went into Tolka Park uh, mm-hmm. when uh, we lost Milltown. Uh, I remember getting back from uh, Australia one day, and within about two hours, I was on the picket line with Jack and all uh, the other Rovers uh, fans at the time outside. There were more people on, on the picket line than were in the ground. <laughs> that says it all, doesn't it? What about, I mean, what about people that would have passed the picket line? Would there have been sort of... Bad blood, bad blood between yourselves and those who went to the games, maybe. Yeah, look, there was a little bit. I mean, it never, it never sort of um, overreached. I don't think um, there were certainly words exchanged from time to time. But you know, as I say, the main thing is we all patched it all up and uh, we moved on. So we have the club charter to Prague is four hundred euro and a fantastic service. Let's be honest. I mean, we were on the club charter to Iceland and it was great crack I mean you have the players the players are really really cool to the fans let's be honest I mean gone are the days that you have a Brennan in the team these prima donnas who are mercenaries who are just picking up a cheque and think Rovers are handy money we can go there we'll stay there for a season and then we'll pick up a few quid it's not like that anymore it's a privilege to play for Rovers they realise the fans are there they realise the fans are passionate and they love the club they see the tattoos they see they see the money being pumped into the club and so I mean the the, the charter really is so they, they kept the first charter a dry fly didn't they they, they wouldn't serve yeah, us alcohol gave us one soft drink they knew very well they gave us a soft drink but um, like I said it's 400 quid and it's it's good for the likes of those who can't get the time off work um, it's it's just a really handy service I mean you've got the transfer included you can get on the plane you're with the team straight onto the bus and then you're in the city centre straight away and you're going to the game and then you're brought back with the team so there's no confusion there's nothing like that Obviously, Prague's a lot easier to get to than Reykjavik, but still, it's nice to have the charter option. But uh, Hoops are making their plans. You got John, draw the hoop. You already had a week's holidays booked. How about that? In Prague. How so about that? That was quite handy. Yeah. I assume Connor Barry is getting a boat over. Yeah. There was actually a post him, Brian Hill, boats. Uh, Soupy, and Connor Barry are all rowing over as we speak. Yeah. Them. So it sounds like just between 200 and 300 gone. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be big, big numbers on this one. 15 from the Gary Twig Supporters Club. Yeah, that's our but, uh, one. The Gary Twig Supporters bus has moved to Prague for this for yeah. that for that trip. Not sure about myself though because I think I brought the bank for Iceland. Yeah, the bank is officially broken. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe Pepper can help me out. Yeah, Pepper, how are they for sponsoring? <laughs> Ray, can you help us out with that one? <laughs> so I we, think we've burgled that Pepper bank. <laughs> So, um, yeah, no, the Gary Twig supporters bus has officially moved to Czech Republic for that week. And um, Dan Fulham was running the bus, so get him on. Dan's a super hoop, in fairness. 
like you said, mad as a cut snake. Is that what you said? Uh, I like that one. I'm going to take that one off you, right? Um, Dan follows from the bus and good lad, Dan. So you could say the Gary Twig Supporters Club has moved to Prague. Gary Twig Supporters Club on tour. So message him on Facebook if you want a place in the bus. He's waiting on numbers and prices at the moment. So, I mean, it's going to be buttons, let's be honest. I mean, I was in Prague for my stags. We were paying 150 a point less. So it's... It's it's a really cheap place, and at, as it stands at the moment, I've counted over a hundred hoops booked separately from the charter. So it's going to be a big one, lads. Get out there and get booked. Support the team. And then congratulations again to Forky, who storytelling won him a free ticket to the Starnan game, and I think he turned forty over the weekend. So uh, didn't mention that to me. Either. I know. Yeah, he actually invited us on Facebook, so we didn't turn up for that. We're sorry for that, Forky. Oh. I didn't think you were forty to be honest. So uh, uh, keep drinking the water. And uh, so we're going to play two interviews for you now. Uh, first, you'll hear from our UEFA.com correspondent for the Czech Republic, Andrei Zlaumal. Is that right, Carl? <laughs> My pronunciations get worse every week. I actually didn't write down his real name for you there. I wrote down how you would pronounce it. Yeah. Because I knew you would feck it up otherwise. Oh, God. And uh, we called him up to get his expertise on this Boleslav team. And then it's Forky to hear a little bit more. On the last time Rovers visited the Czech Republic back in 2003. Mada Boleslav is one of the smaller clubs in the Czech Republic. They are not the main clubs like Sparta and Slavia are the most famous ones. But they are from the uh, town which uh, which is famous for producing the cars, the factory, which is the main sponsor of the club. Uh, they have a small stadium. It's about 5,000 capacity. Which wouldn't be, this is not a big arena like if, if uh, Chernobyl played against Slavia or Sparta. So just they cannot expect coming into a big stadium with 20,000. It will be something very similar to the stadium I've seen they have at home. Uh, they uh, recently, in the last decade, they uh, they are playing at the top of the Czech League, uh, Boleslav. Uh, the best best uh, results are the, uh, the victory of the Czech Cup. And twice they played in the group stage of the UEFA Cup, but it was in uh, seasons 2005 and 2006, 2005, 6, 7, 2007, 2008. Since that time, they are struggling in the in the preliminary, in the qualifiers. Uh, but you know, this, this is a decent side, one of the best uh, Czech teams. But you know, just just uh, still trying to reach the reach the real top. Uh, of course, they have ambitions, and uh, it's a, it's a well-run club, decent side. And uh, what players will be ones to look out for in the, in their team? Uh, look, uh, last last season they finished uh, finished fourth in the in the league, uh, which they were quite a bit lucky because in the last round they could have lost the could have lost the position for Europa League, but uh, it was it was uh, Teplice who didn't beat Dukla, who they needed to qualify, and suddenly uh, the the play slipped to Mada Boleslav. Uh, uh, they, they, are, they have a players. They have several players. They are uh, in under 21 squad, like Stonati. Maybe you have watched the under 21 Euro in Poland. Uh, uh, there's uh, the forward uh, Ramosta. Actually, he scored six goals in the last five games. He's a capable forward. And they have Matijowski, a former playmaker of Sparta, who plays in uh, Boleslav, he's a, a good, good, good player with uh, some of the national caps also. Uh, there's, a, there's a very interesting player, he's called Golgo Mebrachtu, his first name is Golgo. He's Australian, but of the Eritrea origin, 
and he's also a very capable scorer. And the decent squad, they have they have also they have also a couple of guys who were invited to the Czech national team in the midfield like Maresh and Rada. There are two two guys who who played for the Czech national side. And the uh, Czech Republic are much higher than Ireland in the UEFA rankings. So would the media uh, back home always expect to beat Irish clubs in European competition? You, you know, the, the Czech Republic, they recently they recently got a very high coefficient. So just for this season, the, the champion will qualify directly to to UEFA uh, Champions League, very probably directly to group stage. So just the, the, the Czech teams do not start as early as the first rounds. So just this is very tricky for for Mada Boleslav because they, 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 the Czech League will start uh, at the end of July. So just this will be their first competitive match of the season, first regular game against Shemrock. And this this is very tricky. And in the in the last seasons, uh, at this time they play against Zemgetset. It was a, a Norwegian side. They lost uh, lost at home one to two, and they won away one to zero. But they were eliminated. And then they had uh, troubles in the last season. They played Shkendi Atetobo from Macedonia, and they lost away 2-0 because it was still this is still preseason. Now Boleslav they returned from the uh, Austrian camp. They they had a camp in Austria, training camp preparatory where they had three three games. But the other clubs all they they just started this. They will start this started this week or start the next week. They are still still all the other clubs went uh, went to these camps. But Boleslav they timed it for to be ready for the second preliminary round. Uh, but you know you never know about about the form because if you compare friendlies and if you compare compared to regular game it's always always very difficult so difficult to estimate. But you know, they had they had a final test in Austria actually and they played against uh Sturm Graz. They turned around, they, they were one nil up, one nil down and they turned it to two one. Ramusta scoring, the winner. So just they played Rostov, they lost one to three and also defeated Apollo Nemaso two one. But you you never know. This is very tricky, and I expect these games, both of the games, will be very equal, very tight. For Boleslav, it will be a very difficult game in a, in a away in a away game in Ireland because I think uh, you know they, they, there will be the support from the home crowd, and it could be a very difficult game for them to handle. But this is the experience side. They also have a new coach, is Dusan Urin, the junior. Uh, this is his third spell with the club. He knows the club well. He he, he was a coach in Romania. He was a coach of Slavia and Poznan, and he has experience with these games. So just the team will be very very well prepared as regards the tactics. But you know, it's difficult to difficult to uh, to to say what what to expect from the game. But I, I as I said, I I expect very equal games. You mentioned uh, their defeat to Norwegian and Macedonian teams in the last. Couple of seasons. Yes. They considered big upsets at the time, but they really expected to get yes, yes, to the both of the both of the both of the games against Tengretzat and and uh, against Skandia, it was uh, covered by the Czech media as a big failure because they they, they are damaging the coefficient and and it was uh, it was very disappointing. Both of them were very disappointing performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also also the the stadium, which I told you, it was five thousand capacity. It was not full. It was like um, it was it was not sold out, which was like a pity for for this kind of competition because you are fighting fighting to get the place in the in this competition for the whole season. If you do play it, then you then you uh, don't get the full capacity. But it was 
it was really disappointing for both of the games. I remember, I remember the, the last season I was covering the game and they were trying to, they were two two nil down from the first game and they they were trying to get the result at home. They were not unable. They were not able to to get it. They just just scored one goal and very late goal and and it was it was a really frustrating frustrated experience for them. Maybe maybe one thing I think I think it will be very important. You know I've seen I've seen the goals. Shemrock Rovers scored in both of the of the games now against the Icelanders. Icelandic yeah. opponents. It was very important for them to keep the clean sheet. In these games, it's very important to score the first goal and also keep the clean sheet at home. If you do not concede the goal, this is a big advantage because you know if you travel to both last there's a clean sheet that will be a big advantage because then you can if you score you know then then you are in a great advantage uh, the team that uh that was you mentioned last the last two years in the qualifiers is it a similar side or have they since strengthened their squad yeah it's a more or less the similar squad yeah it's more or less the similar squad they they say this is like compost team there were not many changes even in the in the transfer window now in the summer Compost team and uh, yeah, this is this is almost the same. Some of the players, of course, most of the players will remember the last season, last season of sailing against Scandia. They will try to try to repair it, I think. Right, I'm here with Alan Keogh, aka Forky, our Euro competition winner. And Forky, do you have any further comments to, to add to the madness of Liberec 2003 or any more European stories? Uh, Liberec, yeah, I suppose that was just the maddest trip probably we've been on it, like no one expected that to happen uh, like we, re- we went out <laughs> we, were <laughs> we were down uh, we, after the match we went to um, remember going up to the main square after the match everyone was buckled drunk because they were selling drink inside the ground which was rare enough for you know football matches back then and it was only like I think it was 50 cents a point or something so it was dirt cheap everyone was locked so we went back up to the main square after, and I remember I was on my own. And I walked into the main square, we rovers fly, rovers, rovers. Next minute, the lads were all like, get the fuck in, get in, get in off the square. And I'm like, what, what, what? And I've seen all these skinheads coming from all angles. I'm just like, shit, leg it. And then turn around the scene, half the skinheads jump on the other half, fucking uh, battens and cuffs and everything else. Like, it turned out it was all like undercover police have been following it. It must have been like Liberets, hooligans or something. But uh, yes, we've been following them. So that was the start of the evening. And then down to the Irish pub, more drink, great crack down there. Then we found out that there was a 24 hour pub up at the sort of main square where there was all trams and everything. So we went up there drinking away, uh, having the crack with the locals and all. And uh, I think Maloney was playing pool and all the rest. Uh, Butler, of course, fell asleep at the bar. And it was too. Like this is a thing they do in the Czech Republic. Like they get two girls. They're probably working for the place. I don't know. But they ran up. They said they ran up this bill, and it was like 200 euros they were looking at uh, from us because they said, "Oh, he he drank loads of vodka and he bought the girls vodka." So we went to leave. Then there was a bouncer, and he'd been doing drugs all night. He was off his head. Like and he's like, uh, "I want money and all this shit." Like, and the lads were like, "Fuck off, not paying it and everything else." So he went ballistic then and uh, there was a few digs thrown and I can remember uh, there was a bin involved as well I think uh, the bouncer someone threw a bouncer I think at the bin I don't know whether did he throw it back it hit Dejan in the head anyway but he managed to push the lads out the door and then they had this like cage thing 
like they had there's a lot of, lot of pubs in the Czech Republic it's like a security cage thing so uh, he slammed that shut and the lads were all outside and I remember they were all like, trying to throw digs through the railings at him and all and he was kicking back and everything so me and uh, the Red Dial were stuck inside and I'm going oh bollocks this isn't good like because at the time the Czech Republic was a bit of a mad shop you know it was a bit like there's an old Mexico or something. There's a lot of mafia and everything around the place anyway. But uh, <coughs> so we're stuck in the place. The red oil is there trying to talk to the bouncer and calm him down and all the rest. Um, I just went fuck this. I'm having none of this. So I grabbed a point and I just sat down, you know, and just waited for it all to calm down. I says, not getting involved with him. He's fucking nuts, you know. He says there'll be boys down any minute now. He's probably called his mates. Um, so we're there. We're stuck in there for a good 20 minutes, I think. So I'm just sitting there, Jimmy Point. The lads are all shouting through the thing. I think a few of them went off to get the police to try and get us out. I think I went down the back of the pub into the Jackson Hall to see if there was a back door to sneak out. I couldn't get out. But uh, so eventually, then I remember these two security guys came down, like, and they were like armed to the teeth, bulletproof vests and guns. They they just came in, walked into the pub, had a look around, and then walked out. So that's really fucking weird, that is. And then two coppers came down. Uh, later on and they let me and uh, the red dial out and they were talking to all of us just outside the door and uh, the cops couldn't speak English so at the time I was living over there uh, so I had a bit of the language so I was able to try and say oh this happened and I think what I actually said the bouncer had tried to kill Dejan and he had a cut above his eye from the bin and they were like okay okay and so they, they leave it with us and they went inside so I was just standing in the doorway having a smoke. The red dial had gone back in. I don't know why he was in there. I think he didn't get his drink or something. Next minute then, you just heard this bang. And everyone was just like, what the fuck? I turned around. Red dial's running out the door. Lads, get out of here, get out of here. <laughs> what, what? So I walked in to have a look to see what the fuck was going on. The bouncer's down on the ground. The cops are the thing. Copper's waving a gun around. And he's early. He has the gun up in the air. And he's like pointing at me. Get out, get out. And I'm just like... Was walking backwards with your hands in the air, you know. Turned around, all the lads were just there, fucking legged. Everyone just ran like. I remember lads just, we ran in every direction. Uh, I remember those lads scrambling up like a grass bank across the road. No, me and Dejan and a few of the lads, we just legged it back to the hotel, grabbed our bags, and just jumped on the first fucking train out of town. Like, cause we didn't know what was going to happen. Like, was there going to be cops looking for us then and all? You know, it was just it's pure madness. Like, like especially it was only two weeks after. Poland, which was uh, that was mental as well. Like I think everything. Famous chimney incident. I don't. I still to this day I don't know how he actually got up the chimney, but he was up there for a, an hour or so, an hour and a half maybe. And like there was lads kicking him in the legs and everything, and uh, there was a few of the lads were spraying the CS gas up the chimney at him and all. Like and like he was just. I don't know what he was doing up there. He was up there. He. The previous night he'd been dancing around on the tables, butt naked, in front of a lot of Canadian tourists. Uh, I have that on video somewhere, I think. Reading that video. I, I don't know if I have the chimney incident. I have the night before, because I watched it last week. Uh, and yeah, it was proper mad. Like, everyone was, the, the amount of drink consumed, like, it was just insane. It's so cheap over there as well, you know? So we need a win tonight against Darnan to get through to the Czech Republic, and hopefully no more gun violence. Uh, I think things have calmed down in the Czech Republic now since they joined the EU. But um, yeah, there used to be there used to be a lot of guns around the place over there. Um, but uh, I uh, win tonight, Jesus. We have to win, you know. Like 
if we don't win now, you know, we're going to miss out on all that money and I think our season will fucking take a nosedive as well. So if we don't want to repeat it last year, that was just sh- shite, you know. Um, they've brought a good few fans over with the looks of it, so hopefully uh, they won't make too much noise. We'll, we'll step up our game and, yeah, because poor enough now against uh, Sligo there on Sunday, you know. So players looked a bit tired. So are you giving uh, poor Neil Doyle all sorts of abuse in Sligo? I always give him abuse, yeah. Like he, he, he used to go to Rovers with us. He used to sell programmes at Rovers games, you know. So every time he's playing, I always give him abuse. So. And he knows it's me. He can hear me. He goes, I heard you fucking from the stand the last time. So. Ah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's only because he's a mate, you know. Like, but uh, it's just a bit of slag and a bit of banter, you know. So that was Andre and Forky. Andre's very informative, wasn't he? Very enthusiastic. Yeah, I just put up on Twitter. I said, uh, does anyone have any, like a journalist who would have knowledge of the Czech League and has good English, good to get in touch? And I got loads of responses. Yeah. And a few people suggested Andre, who's the UEFA.com That was the deciding factor in your decision. A few people yeah. suggested him, yeah. Yeah, so I rang him up and uh, yeah, it was, he was great. Lovely fella, gent. Yeah. So, and then we had Forky. Forky, you are officially coming on the show. And coming at Monty Madness. That's that, sealed it now. That you've sealed, signed, sealed and delivered. So we'll be in touch and uh, we'll fill you full of gargle and we'll we'll get you on the show for Monty Madness. Great, great interview. Fair play, Forgy. Ray enjoyed that. He, he yeah, was Ray chuckling was, here Ray the was whole time. Away at that one. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. So um, we'll move on now to Carl's stats. I've run out of things to say about how good they are. So it's the stats. They're, on, they're, they're the best ever. So... We have four of Rovers' last five games have only had one goal in them. So Rovers are 11 home games unbeaten in all competitions and Derry are the only opposition team to keep a clean sheet in Tala this year. That was when Ryan McBride scored his last yeah, goal. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, it was a, that was a snatch and grab, wasn't it? Mm. And against Starnan, Rovers won both legs of a European tie for the first time since Oldra in, in 2003 in the Toto Cup. And they, haven't, they did it I also did it in 1966, 78 and 82. Can you remember the 78 one where they won both toys, Ray? I think that was Aapel Nicosia, was it? The oh. Cypriot team? That's right, yep. yep. I um, do remember that. And then we have Rovers who went on to meet Slovan Liberets of the... Liberec or Liberets? Which way would you pronounce the C, Carl? Liberec. Liberec, that'll go. We'll go with that. And all uh, the guns. All the guns. <laughs> the gun capital, Slovan Liberec of the Czech Republic, in the second round of the Intertoto Cup, playing the home leg at Richmond Park. Uh, Rovers have equaled their unbeaten European run from 1966 and aim to win three consecutive games and or go four games without defeat for the first time ever. So uh, Brazzer's broken a couple of records this year, hasn't he? But he's eagle that record and he can set a new one oh, yeah. on Thursday. So we have John Giles against Apoel and Fram Reykjavik had been the only Rovers manager to win both legs with clean sheets and uh, Derry twice, Shelbourne and Pats are other clubs to do it. And we have Sternam was Rovers' third European win at Tala, 1-0 over Flora Tallinn 2011 and 3-0 over Progress Niederkorn who um, knocked out Rangers. Humiliated Rangers last week. That was... Uh, Unexpected to say the least. We've actually gone further in Europe than Rangers. Yeah, we can actually talk about this a little bit because it was unprecedented. I mean, Rangers are now out of Europe, knocked out by Progress. Need I think the postman got a goal, did he? It was it was insane stuff. I mean, the the streets were it was mayhem on the streets in Luxembourg that night. They stopped the bus. 
they uh, accosted the manager in the hotel lobby. Um, it, it was nuts. Yeah, there was just so much funny stuff online. Ah, oh, it was brilliant. After that defeat. Celtic fans were out of force. Yeah. So, in um, fact, uh, all eight Scottish, Welsh and Northern Irish clubs that played in the Europa League first qualifying round, they all went out. They all went out? All wow. eight of them. So, and we thought we were doing the coefficient of favour. And here's a stat you might put interesting. I saw this from Neil Reardon. He said that since 2002, league foreign clubs have a 30% win rate in Europe. It's not too bad. And the Scottish clubs, if you take out the old firm, have a 24% win rate. Mm. So we, you could say we're pretty much on par with standard in uh, with the SPL. So we were talking about progress in either corn and uh, who will be... Pr- uh, he spelt very well I gave it to him that was a, a debatable uh, he said C instead of he K he said C instead it? of K yeah. he did well though and like they said they humiliated Rangers and uh, we've gone further than Rangers Europe In f- and you were just talking about the Scottish and Welsh and Northern Irish clubs we have the hoops didn't concede in the away leg of those toys either but they have never managed three sh- clean sheets in a row so once again we can break more records we have Stephen Bradley's first European home game as manager and all three goals in his reign so far. Gary McCabe, Gary Shaw and Gary Bourke all scored in the first half. It was Bourke's first goal in Europe. Rovers' record goal scorers are Liam Toohey and Billy Dixon with four each. I'm sure you remember those. Uh, believe it or not, just a little bit before my time, I think I saw Billy right at the uh, end of his career. Yeah, but I didn't see Liam play. Billy Dixon and Liam Tui. So we have 17 year old Aaron Bulger came off the bench to make his European debut. At 16 years of age, Richie Bailey played against Banico Strava of Czechoslovakia in the 1978 Cup Winners Cup at Milltown to become the, f- the Hoops youngest ever player in a European tie. You mentioned that earlier. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. And we have Richie's nephew, Robert Bailey. Bucker, who we had on last week, very interesting interview. We scored Rovers first European goal at Tallis Stadium, which I didn't know that. It's mm. a nice little stat. First European goal at Tallis Stadium. That was the first game. Which he says Stadium. was his best moment in football ever, which is a very, very high compliment from Bucker. He's a good lad. And injury time equaliser against Benet Yehuda in 2010, which we all enjoyed very much. And Hooperman didn't. <laughs> got rugby tackle. Because he got hockeyed over. <laughs> Uh, as teenagers, Keen Kavanagh, three, and Dylan Kavanagh, one, uh, that's appearances, played European games in 2015, and it matched their total league appearances in their Rovers' careers. Wow. Yeah, Dylan actually played in Europe before he played in the league. I remember checking that up. Has anyone done that before? And it was Billy Woods in 1998. Billy played in Europe before the league. But that was only because the Intertoto Cup was in June. And, and the wasn't that played the weekend? I think August. it was, wasn't it? The total cup. Hmm. And we have Mr. Glenn Nyberg took charge of the game last week to become the first ever Swedish referee of a Rovers European match. So stats. I did. I did say we did say he looked quite Scandinavian, didn't he? So stats that matter. Yeah, Swedish referee yeah. nationality stats. Uh, Czech Republic are 13th in UEFA rankings, and Ireland are 41st. Wow, I didn't know there was that much of a gap. But the Czechs have had three clubs in the Europa League group stages last season and the season before that. That's a big gap, isn't it? 13-44. And in 12 games against clubs from Czechoslovakia and the Czech Republic, League of Ireland clubs have lost 11 and only Bowles got an away draw to... Oh, God, I'm going to have to pronounce this again. <laughs> Give it a go. I'm going to pronounce the W as a V, so Gottwaldov in the 1970 Cup Winners' Cup. 
And it would be 50 years in November when Ireland international team recorded their only, their one and only win in Czechoslovakia, a 2-1 win in Prague on the last game of the Euro 68 qualifying group that cost the Czechs a place in the last day. That was a huge shock at the time because Spain were the holders and they looked to be gone because Czechoslovakia were expected to beat us. But that allowed Spain to top the group then. Mm. And as the story goes, Spain sent the FEI a stack of red wine to show their gratitude. <laughs> and uh, do you know what? It's probably stayed in the president's office. They didn't go near it. Like I say, but we, um, the less we say about the FEI, probably the better. We get ourselves in trouble. Boleslav <laughs> um, were promoted to the Czech first league in 2004 and their highest finish was runners up in 2006 they won the Czech Cup in 2011 and 2016 when former Liverpool striker Milan Baros played for them and uh, Boleslav have finished fourth in their last three seasons securing European qualification by one point in the table last season which ended in May only defender Yuri Fleisman was the ever present in the league campaign. Their top league goal scorer was Jan Kramosta. You're taking the piss out of me this week <laughs> with these pronunciations. Jan Kramosta with nine goals, a Czech Republic under 21 international, and Gol Mebratu, an Australian striker. So those are the danger men we will be looking out for. That was like a Tomer effort there. It was, wasn't it? I'm getting very continental, very continental with my pronunciations. We have Boleslav reached the UEFA Cup group stage in 2006 and seven, so two seasons in a row. They were in the group stages, beating Marseille and Palermo along the way. I didn't know that. Those are scalps. And their manager during that run, Dusan Yurin Jr., has returned for his second spell in charge. And they've had uh, how many managers? 11 managers in 10 years? It's quite a turnover. It is quite a turnover. They've won a third of their 30 European games, five wins and knockout ties, six losses. However, Boleslav have been eliminated in the first hurdle of the Europa League in the last two years to um, Strumsgutset in Norway. And <laughs> Will that Ray attempt this one? Ray, you go for that one. <coughs> Macedonian team. Uh God, Shengdilia. That sounds about right. Yeah, so some interesting former names as well, Carl. Um, yeah, I mean, he used to be known as Aston Villa. Blah, 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 so. They're nearly as bad as Cork City, Forest Co-op, Hibernian, yeah. whatever the fuck you want to call them nowadays. <laughs> I mean, and even a lot of names, haven't they? Yeah, even for one season in 1994-95, they were known as... Lad of bought us of Bohemians. Yeah, oh, that, that's added to so the that's, rivalry already. That's two Bose fiends coming to tell this week. Mm. Got this mob, and you've got Stephen Ward. This mob, Stephen Ward, yeah, who, who was a striker in his day, and uh, a, a very average left fall. Let's be honest, that uh, Ender Stevens will be gunning for that left left sided berth for for Ireland now. I reckon they have it in no time now that he's got a big move to the championship. What is here? Are you are you a fan of stats, Ray? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I love the stats, Carl. Yeah, no, they're terrific. Carl, <laughs> Carl is the stat king. I don't know where you get them from. You must spend hours on Google. Carl, they're just there, they're just in his mind. He is, <laughs> Carl is a stat. Um, yeah, so 2007, they've had 11 managers, that's 11 and 10 years. And um, we've given you a couple of stats on Malada Boleslav, but now we're going to move on to our starting 11 and our predictions. It's it's 
like at this stage, do you know what? We should listen back to our starting levels at the start of the season because they were all over the place, weren't they? Christmas tree formations and I basically change my strike partner with Shaw every week. Mm. That's all I do. Yeah. But I mean it's I think start with the same team, aren't you? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I agree. It's pretty much solid at this stage. I mean you're gonna have Tomer, you're gonna have Maddo Peak and Maddo Madden, Pico, Webby, Lukey, you're gonna have Finn and Connolly in the middle, Trevor Brando out wide and Bork and Shaw. It's four four one one pretty much. I'm gonna say a two one win. I'm gonna say we might concede. I'm gonna say two one win. And then uh, we'll talk about the away leg next week. But you know me, Carol, I never predict a draw. I'm always, my glass is always half full. Do you want to hear from my head or my heart? We'll go for both. No, it's two different things. Well, we'll I'll tell you what, we'll go for your head. Okay, head and heart, actually. Go for it. I'm there you go. Your arm's been twisted. 1-0 win. 1-0 win. 1-0 win, beautiful. Yeah. Ray, give us a prediction. Uh, look, I'm going to go for 2 0. I'm, I'm going to go for a, not conceding an away goal to them and uh, uh, one of the most sensational results we'll ever have in Europe. Oh, two nil. yes, I'm loving it, Ray. Loving uh, the enthusiasm. I, I thought Gary was optimistic. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so we have Robert Goggins who started the trade asking if the vote was tomorrow for Player of the Year, who would you vote for? So at the moment, you know what? I mean, a lot of people are saying Trevor, a lot of people are saying. Uh, I mean, they're saying Pico. I don't think Pico can be considered at the moment. I mean, he had a couple of good performances in the last few games, but Shawzi is right up there. I think it's just, at the moment, if you were to say between three, if you were to narrow it down to three, it's Luke Bourne, which is a, an incredible feat because he was injured for the start of the season, had that horrific injury. He's been brilliant since he came back. Uh, we have Trevor, who's been a revelation, and we've Shawzi, who's been who has fitted into that role of a striker that we've needed for years. So, I mean, hopefully to keep up the form. What about you, Carl? Who, who's your, uh, who would you go for? I think it's a close call between Trevor Clark and Gary Shaw. Yeah. I think Gary Shaw has been phenomenal. Trevor Clark, obviously, I think away to Staranan and what was the game after Staranan? Away to Sligo. Sligo. Yeah. yeah. Off day, I think, in both games. He was okay in Iceland. He runs for days, though. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. He's a hard-working player. But at home, uh, Air Sport actually put up a clip where he had this burst of pace. I mean, he was like he was thirty yards out, mm. running with the ball, and a second later, he was inside the box, putting it across. Yeah, he's he's he scored crackers. He scored white balls. Uh, what was the other cracker? Cork. Oh, Cork. Cork. Yeah. Cracker there. I mean, but Gary Shaw. I mean. Gary Shaw had any performance less than brilliant in the last two months. Yeah. I don't I mean, think he has. Let's call a spade a spade. I mean, this guy has an engine and he runs, he's got pace. And like we said, if he can work, we don't want to We don't want to be too negative. But if, if he was a, a Sean McGuire type finisher, he'd be absolutely shit hot. And he'd be prob- we'd probably lose him to an English club. So He probably won't finish top score because Melee just has a knack of... Melee scored one goal, I think, in the last... Seven eight games, yeah. but you'll find that Mealy will just pop up with a few now mm. soon, and he'll end up on eleven twelve. Yeah, double but, figures for the season. Yeah. So who's Ray going to pick as uh, player of seasons up her? Yeah, look, I think it, it's a close run thing between the, the those two lads, as you say. But I'd probably give it to Gary. I think it's the hardest position to play. You know, mm. up front, so much pressure on you, isn't it? So much pressure, and you know, Rovers have been crying out for a fellow to put the ball in the back of the net for us up there, and you know, he's. Quite often in a since God four, left, four, one it? one since God left. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd probably give it to Gary. Although Trevor on his day is uh, exceptional. Yeah, really was. So um, 
We're going to have a tough question for you now, right? What's your favourite ever Rovers game? What's what's What sticks out? <clears throat> My favourite Rovers game... Uh, God, there's been so many of them. Look, the 78 Cup final, I think, against Sligo, which they keep going on about now as though they stopped playing after 45 minutes when we scored in the 48th minute. Yeah, I think it, it's the first cup I remember us winning, you know? And it's just it's so just that stands out. Yeah, really, really love yeah, that one. Yeah, I love that one. Uh, I also love when we we won the league cup actually a couple of years earlier. Mick Leach scored, and I think the eighty first minute in uh, the Fibsborough Road end against Sligo, um, uh, and that was a that was sort of we had a few bad years, so that was a very memorable um, uh, yeah. trophy to collect. Yeah, so that, that those two sort of stand out. Um, and winning the league um, at Bray. Um, Brilliant. I was privileged to be in the dressing room afterwards with the players and um, and Mick O'Neill took me back on the bus back to Teller for those celebrations. Oh, yeah? Uh, that, that, that lives long in the memory Nice, nice well. touch. It was yeah, Mick O'Neill, very, very fond of Mick O'Neill here at Tales for East End. And uh, fond memories of Pat Flynn uh, cutting himself open with the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell us that when he comes on the show. Yeah, that's it, Pat. You're coming on and there's no choice about it so we're gonna talk um ray who's your all-time favorite rovers player Ooh, another toughie <laughs> uh, there have been so many haven't there and uh, uh and maybe some rovers fans won't sort of thank me for this but it is actually liam buckley um when 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 he came on the scene um he uh, he was a left winger and i think mclaughlin um, giles signed him and mclaughlin turned him into an out-and-out striker uh, he just had everything, you know. He had great feet. He had a leap on him for, you know, not a not an Which overly been tall said striker. A couple of times to us, he could he, he could he could jump over fellows who were six inches taller than him and, yeah. and put the ball in the back of the net. And he was also just about one of the bravest footballers I've ever seen. You know, as oh, I said, yeah. Jack and me would would be down the country watching him. Some players could play at Milltown, but they couldn't play down the country. Bucko played everywhere he played. Oh he was yeah, oh, that's great. How would you describe that partnership with? Uh, Alan Campbell, what was so great about their understanding? And they scored so many goals together. Look, they were just telepathic almost, you know. They just seemed to have this uh, Desi instinct. and Twiggy comes to mind there <laughs> for me anyway. Yeah, like they were, you know, it is amazing, isn't it, how sort of strikers can work in pairs, you know. Again, way back in the day, the Keegan and Toshaks and what have you. But these two fellas just knew where each other was going to be. Joy to if watch. one was having a... And off there, you you you'd be sure the other fellow would pop oh, up man. and score the goal. So yeah, they never let you down. They just always there was hardly a match went by where one of them wasn't on the score sheet. So uh, as you mentioned, Gary, next we have uh, we're going to ask Gray who we'd like to add to the list of hatred. The list of hatred. So so far we have three <laughs> footballers, two mutants, and a pub on our list of hatred so far. And you're not allowed to put me on it, right? Because Jason only already tried that. Threaten us with a solicitor. Can't put me in a list of hate. <laughs> he threatens us with slander. No, look, for me, it has to be uh, uh, the Thomas Davis crew, um, you know, putting us through what they put us through uh, on an absolute sort of furphy of a claim. Um, they had us in court for, I don't know how many years it was, uh, cost us a fortune as well, uh, and stopped my dad, Jack, from actually getting to tell us. So Jack died in uh, January 2009. And it wasn't two months later we were in the ground, but he missed getting there, you know. So um, I'd have to say Thomas Davis. Yeah, well, Thomas Davis, you are officially on the list of hatred. (laughs) 
and rightly so as well. I mean, those emails that were leaked and and those things like that. I mean, that they they literally tried to kill Shamrock Rovers. I mean, I, I drove by the place yesterday, and I mean, they, they, there's just money coming out of the place. They've got a brand new extension and things like that. We are not Gaff fans here. Let's be honest. And and Ray, it, it resonated with me earlier. Ray told me a couple of stories about how they acted and towards Rovers and things like that. And it, it genuinely does. It, it, it fills you full of hate towards them. So the list of hatred is uh, is definitely uh, the way forward for these guys. So um, we're going to talk about our badges again. We have a few badges left. And thanks again to everybody who bought them. And uh, and I think one of the one of the stewards she wasn't impressed by the badges was, was she she said to me oh are they are they for charity I said no no they're for the podcast we're we're trying to improve things and and pay fees and stuff like that I said oh she said oh how much are they she said I said a fiver she goes fuck off <laughs> she, <laughs> she walked off but she's good crack of fairness to her but um, yeah that's that's her story anyway and we're gonna move on to the Pride of Rings end which was missing last year. Uh, five side tournament is on Saturday contact Ed Saul if you want to put a team and uh, make sure there's, if there's any spots left give him a shout always a great day full of rovers full of drink and uh, it was going to clash with Limerick but not anymore so uh, you have the whole day free now to go and play football and drink pints with uh, your rovers brothers so so we have the Limerick game that was scheduled for Saturday the 15th has been postponed that was announced earlier on today and then we have the friendly with Borley and Tallet is on Friday the 14th so plenty of tickets left make sure you get down uh, I think John Walters just signed for them so potentially five Ireland internationals on show mm-hmm. so uh, get down and you can see a couple of Ireland caps playing and Twiggy will be at the European game on Thursday so we're going to have to try and nab him for a couple of interviews <laughs> I'm sure he won't mind so our next show will be on Wednesday the 19th, just before the away leg. So uh, plenty of uh, material to listen to on the plane, the charter or the bow, if you're... Uh, <laughs> if you're Connor. If you're Connor, yeah. if you're heading over to the game. And uh, um, we, we broke the 10,000 listeners mark a couple of weeks ago. So we're happy with that. So a celebration. Well, we're actually having a celebration right now. There's plenty of cans being opened and yeah. crack being had. So uh, if you'd thanks told to me, all our uh, listeners. If you'd told me six months ago that I'd been here recording a par- podcast with you, and Ray Wilson over a few points I don't think I'd believe it you no 100% Jesus I mean like I said we're doing well and we'll, we'll continue to to progress and uh, a big thanks to Ray and um, I mean it's 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 shock to be honest that he came on I mean like I said we don't know the guy but came up to us in Iceland and was very complimentary and he said where's the prof <laughs> but uh, also said that the, the podcast was quality to quote Aaron Bulger yeah <laughs> anything else so, you'd like to add Ray before we go no look just thanks Gary and Carol it's a it's a great addition to the sort of Rovers Week the podcast I certainly look forward to it every week in Sydney um, it's uh, I usually listen to it about Thursday night with a glass of red wine ah, Ter- terrific stuff lovely. great to hear so we're going to get Ray to plug our fantastic sponsors Peachtree East located just beside the Lewis Stop and Tallet at the square so Ray go ahead yeah, happy to do a fair play to the uh, Peachtree for sponsoring the lads. So the Peachtree East will launch their comedy tonight on the 20th of July. Could be a big night for Rovers mm-hmm. at 9pm. So if you're not in Prague, you'll be there. They're bringing the best comedians to Tala and tickets are €10. Euro. Check their Facebook page for more details. Drinks and dinner deals available. A tickets, beer and meal only at €35 Euros per person. Great value. 
Cheers, right? So uh, I think that's it for Monthly Madness. Carl, have you got anything to add? No, here's everything. Just thanks to Ray and uh, yeah, thanks for Ray coming to the show. Good time big, was had. So we've a big European game this week. So let's pack Tata Stadium, make some noise, and head to Prague with a win under our belts on the twentieth. So uh, Ray, I'm gonna let you sign off. Remember, keep on hooping, folks. <laughs> Yeah, fucking drink sponsor.